This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Light is where you'll find truth. Truth is where you'll find color, and color is where you'll find God. Color is God. It's His love for you. We know light is what makes color happen. Color is a product of light, of course. So if God is light, that means color testifies. Have you ever thought of color this way? Color celebrates what God has done from the beginning and what he is still doing. Color cheers us on. It represents so much. It symbolizes the father's love for his children. It exemplifies a savior's promises. It stands for the spirit at work inside us and around us. My friends, we may not see color function in the shadows, but that doesn't mean it isn't available for us there. All it needs is a little light to start vibrating and shifting. When light hits an object, it causes it to rearrange its electrons in a process called transition. In short, it causes color to be seen. Color is all about perspective. It's about so many good things, but it's also about hard things like forgiveness. Our guest today is the author of a book entitled Finding My Father, based on the true story of the father she never knew. On November the 1st, 1955, her dad was killed when a bomb exploded inside the plane he was traveling in over U.S. soil. Marion's message is one of the hope she found in forgiveness and how she came to grips with repressed grief and the anger hidden in her heart for the father she was never given the opportunity to know. Freedom from trauma's collateral damage in her adult life, as it turns out, was rooted in forgiveness. And as it turns out, our forgiveness stories follow a parallel track, Marion's and mine, as my dad was also killed in a commercial plane crash. So this is going to be really crazy, good, maybe a little emotional today. I want to welcome Marion Poppelmeyer to the show today. Hello, Marion. Hello, Janet. How are you? I am so good. It's so good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's my pleasure. And, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Missy, suggested it. And so I said, uh, yes, she couldn't say enough about you. So tell me more. What did I miss? What else would you like our listeners to know? Well, um, I began, as, I, as she said, my dad was killed on the first ever plane bombing over U.S. soil. Um, I wasn't born yet. Um, my mother was instantly widowed at age uh, 31, instantly overnight, and uh, the whole world changed. So um, I was born prematurely uh, due to her grief, her distress, her trauma, and um, went on life without a father until she remarried when I was age six. So my story really is rooted back to that plane bombing. And um, I don't know, where else would you like me to go? (laughs) Well, well, there's so much to unpack there. So let's just start with the facts, because I know our listeners are thinking, okay, what happened? I mean, I myself had to Google the information about what really happened in 1955. That was before my time. And to be honest, Mary, and I'm ashamed to say, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, I know that I had heard when you and I met at a writer's conference years ago that our fathers had mm-hmm. both been killed in commercial plane crashes. And I I knew, as I told you earlier, that we were always going to connect. Mm-hmm. We needed to talk. But what I didn't know was the circumstances about this. It was really, well, give us the facts because you were telling me about it earlier. And I thought, oh my goodness, how do we not know this? Well, uh, the plane took off from the former Denver International Airport, which was called Stapleton at the time. And within 11 minutes after takeoff, it exploded outside of Denver, north north of Denver in Weld County, Colorado. And it scattered over six square miles to give you an impact that's over like 260 acres. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the wow. tail and the nose were a mile and a half apart. The, the body of the plane was split wide open. The debris was all over. Um, it was carrying mail, and mail was blown miles away. Uh, China plates and forks and spoons were strewn all over the highway surrounding that property, which are more country roads, is all rural then. And um, unfortunately, my dad was on that flight, and all the victims were scattered over 160 acres. So, Marion, what happened? Why did it blow up? Um, it was within within two weeks. The man was caught, but they quickly surmised that it was not an accident. It was not malfunction of the radars, which did happen then, uh, or malfunction of the airplane. But the way it blew up and what the FBI did in reconstructing the plane, it was determined that it was sabotage um, and that it came from a certain cargo and that um, there was residue of dynamite. So that led the hunt, and they quickly found the man who quickly confessed uh, to doing it, and he was tried, and within 16 months, he was um, given the death penalty. All 44 passengers were killed. He put the bomb in the plane to collect insurance for his mother. Wow. And at that time, we didn't have the regulations, the security in place that we do now. So he was able to access the cargo hold somehow. Was he an employee uh, at the airport? No, uh, no, believe it or not. (laughs) He put 25 sticks of dynamite with a timer in his mother's suitcase. Oh, gosh. And it was overweight. So he just paid the $38 in overweight. And uh, smiled at his mother and said, I've, I, I, I tucked in a Christmas present for you, mom. Oh, dear. Wow. So um, he was unremorseful, clear to the end. But the, um, the court case, uh, quickly, I, I do have an interesting fact sheet, which is on my website. You can access it at freedomlifejoy.com. That saves you from spelling my name, uh, Freedom Life. <laughs> I feel like your name yes. is so good. I, I love I love Popplemeyer. I feel like it needs to be like in a book title, like you know the it, very it, stories it of Marion Popplemeyer. I just think it's so cute. It it is it is. I you know, I, I did not use a pen name. <laughs> Popplemeyer is on my book, but P O E P P E L M E Y E R is a little bit hard to type out. Um, when you're trying to take it over the radio. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and so uh, freedomlifejoy.com is my um, domain name that goes to my website. Got it. So, well, it's why I yeah. use my maiden name for everything, Huxley, because honestly, my married name is impossible. Nobody ever gets it right. <laughs> I understand. Popplemeyer's easy and adorable. Okay. So freedomlifejoy.com. Got it. Yes. Okay. And there is a flight 629 fact sheet that they can download for free. Gotcha. So save us a lot of airtime going into it. Sure. But in summary, it was so massive that the houses shook around it. It's all rural. It's all dark. It's 32 degree weather. And the first on the field were farmers and mostly teenagers, age 18, that were first on the field. Mm -hmm. And they figured that a cargo plane leaving Stableton because it's the air pattern. They Airplanes frequently flew over that plot of land, that huge plot of land. Just mark it out in the country. Go driving down three square, three miles down and two miles over, and you'll see how vast that is. Yeah. It really is. And um, so he rushed on the scene with his dad, his brother, and his girlfriend, and they discovered mayhem. They, they discovered a war zone and began covering the bodies. Well, and I'm just so sitting here a whole story feeling a saga. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm sitting here feeling thankful this wasn't over the city. Oh, this didn't happen in goodness. a more populated area. Well, exactly. What when my recent trip back to Denver for the first time to go back to the roots and to meet these very people that were unsung heroes at the time, uh, one of them was from Loveland, Colorado. You get a map, and there's Denver, Boulder. Longmont, um, Loveland, Fort Collins. If it had exploded two minutes later, it would have fallen over the residential part. Granted, towns were smaller than cities were, but 
it would have absolutely have killed hundreds more people. If it exploded 10 minutes later, which the killer planned on it, exploding over the Rockies, he would have gotten off scot-free. They would have claimed it as a mistake. They never would have been able to recover the plane, never would discover that it was sabotage, and um, all the passengers would have been killed and unrecoverable because it was winter. Okay, so, so that was God's his goal. Providence, it left, yes, it left late. It was delayed in, oh. in Stapleton Airport. Which is God. Let's, yeah, let's, that is God. This, this is about God intervening. God intervened, delayed the plane. One miracle. Second miracle is that if it exploded two minutes later, it would have blown up over Loveland, Colorado. So, yeah. and here it was in a beet field. No houses were hurt. See, as you were first starting to describe this story, I was thinking, okay, what if it were delayed? What if that plane sat on the tarmac and it exploded at the airport? Oh, what you're horrible. saying is so poignant because you're right. It was God's timing. And I love that you're already seeing those blessings within it. I mean, it's so hard to see beyond sometimes, well, but, you know but to look at and to recognize the blessings within the tragedy is, is, is critical. Well, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't see it at all until I wrote my book uh, and I couldn't see it all until I wrote the chapter on what happened in Denver. I wrote the first third of the book from my mother's perspective because I wasn't born yet. And I taped it from conversations with her. I heard about her story for the first time when I was age 42, because she had remarried a stepfather who was very jealous of my original biological dad and refused my mother to ever talk about him to us girls. So my father, what it was, it was, it was a big, he was a big blank. And Is he no longer alive? My stepdad, no, he died in 98. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was gathering. So it gave you the freedom, to, freedom rather to talk about this. Well, he actually, um, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, de- definitely did. De- definitely did. But he um, passed away of Alzheimer's uh, mm. um, in the ni- 98. Yeah. So all the healing part that takes place in my book is between 93, 94, and 98. So, you know, as someone who has suffered this, I mean, a commercial flight took the life of my dad as well, and 14 passengers. It wasn't a large plane. It seems like it was probably similar in size to the one that claimed the 44 passengers on your dad's flight. I have to tell you that... To this day, so that happened in 1989 for us, and all of these decades later, it's still so hard for my siblings and I to talk about it, Mm -hmm. especially because it did seem nefarious. It wasn't sabotage, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you that it was very odd the way that it happened just two weeks prior to the plane crash. A girlfriend that he had moved in with, who was 30 years his junior, and who had a good friend as an attorney, rewrote the will. And I found a different will in with his belongings that didn't look the same as that one. And there were so many weird idiosyncrasies about all of it, including when I flew on Vancouver Island up there to make arrangements, or when I actually I drove up there to make arrangements to handle his estate. There were so many things about it that bothered, like when I'd go to close the mm-hmm. accounts, the accounts were already had already been closed, the money had already been taken. I was not allowed mm-hmm. to take belongings that belonged in my family home, all of the things that just lined up where for well, many years, my siblings felt it was murder. I mean, that's what they were thinking, that something went yeah. down. Uh, so it's very eerie for me to hear that this this man planted a bomb to kill his Mother's mother on the plane. Now that didn't happen. Don't don't misunderstand me. I'm just telling you that was the feeling that we had because the baggage door was left mm-hmm. open. So what happened was upon flight, as as the aircraft was taking off, the baggage door that had been left unlatched blew open, pulling the plane back down to the tarmac, and it exploded at the airport. That's what oh, happened my with goodness. my father. So I'm anyway, so sorry. Thank you. And I'm so so sorry sorry. that this happened for you, too. I mean, it's just horrible. So what I I'm thinking as I as I'm processing through 
your situation, I, I have so many questions. The first is, take me back to what that was like for your mom. And you said you wrote this book from her perspective. I'm assuming mm-hmm. you relied on her heavily for that information. Well, I learned her story for the first time when I was 42 years old. Ah, And wow. I was already two years en route into a very emotionally inner healing, whatever you want to call it, journey with God. She did not know I was going through this. And uh, a local reporter had heard about this and said, Mary, no media is not covering this. Um, We had the TWA bombing. Uh, I mean, it fell outside of New York City. We had the Oklahoma City bombing by then. We had the early Twin Towers, first explosion. But no, no reporting of the, when they would report histories of these horrible tragedies in U.S. history, None of them covered November 1st, 1955, which was right. Hurt. Yeah, that's my None point. And I was very well was aware of the PSA flight that went down, for example, over my hometown in San Diego. That was significant to me. Uh-huh. So I'm surprised I didn't know about this. Yeah, exactly. It was covered under the rugs. And um, I, I don't understand why, except that it was so horrific. It was a national disaster. President Eisenhower had two people on that flight. That that were killed. Um, what do you mean? Took, had two of his relatives? Yeah, no, uh, deputy deputy health secretary. Oh, I and see. And then then the spouse of one of his aides, okay. a White House aide staff, were on that flight. Wow. So um, it was a uh, Life magazine covered it on November twenty eighth, nineteen fifty five. Um, that was the issue. Covered it. Um, Detroit News, all the headlines around the newspaper, around the world, around around the United States covered it. Um, It was horrific and people were in shock. So going back to just the history of it, uh, so we can move on, it was the first ever um, plane bombing over U.S. soil, the largest mass murder in U.S. history, but also... Uh, changed the way the FBI did forensics. It was hallmark for the FBI. It had become a case study for new FBI agents. They re-pieced the whole plane. They moved everything, all the bigger pieces, everything, the seats they could retrieve, um, everything into an undisclosed warehouse and guarded it. The National Guard were called in. The um, An air squadron was called in to protect the whole arena. The engines fell, the impact was so strong, the engines fell 16 feet deep and formed a huge crater, which was um, guarded by a fence for over five years. Farmers the next year were uncovering debris. The farmers 60, 60 later, 60 years later, um, still uncovering debris, of which I was able to see in Mead. A farmer delivered a bucket full of of these plane debris dating back to November 1st, 1955 that he kept wow. filling up. Wow, this was um, just recently. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I have a piece of the plane. Mead Town Hall let me bring home a piece of the plane. Oh, I told them to keep it, keep the bucket. They offered to give it to me when I was there. But I said, no, you keep it because we're going to... We don't know what type of memorial we're going to make, and there'll be a place for it. So um, because it was FBI, they didn't even give any of the local museums plain pieces for display. But the whole area was shaken. Mm-hmm. And, and not only that, but the whole nation. So it was the first for the FBI in forensics, how they did it. It was the first time they allowed cameras in the courtroom and the first time they allowed film cameras, you know, video cameras into the courtroom. And they interviewed over 240 jurors because they couldn't find a jury that was unbiased. The nation was angry. Oh, I'm sure. So there's a lot to the case, and that's why I'm going to refer sure. your people to the interesting fact sheet. And there, right. There's over 42 of them listed there, and they can see the historical significance of this. 
Well, you know, I, like I said, so, I wasn't alive for this, but I was for the Oklahoma City bombing. And I know how much that angered and upset me. I couldn't sleep for days. I had a child that was very young, a toddler at the time. And seeing those babies being taken out was just more than I could process. And yeah. my dad was from Oklahoma. So when we moved from San Diego to Kansas City, we stopped in Oklahoma and paid our respects at the memorial. So it sounds like you're getting together or you're part of or you're at least aware of a memorial that's now being put together well, for these victims. Well, the fact is, is that there has been no memorial. Yeah. There's no plaque, no marker. So my point in going back to Denver was to thank these unsung heroes. When I wrote that chapter in my book, What Happened in Denver, I did not want to cover the crime. I did not want to cover the criminal. I did not want to cover the court case. I didn't want to give him any, mm -hmm. any more uh, exposure. I concentrated on what happened in Denver, and I saw a remarkable feat of the American spirit in action. I really saw what America, what makes America great, yeah. and it's our people. Yeah. Because these farmers, these residents came out in mass, and they just dug in. And started looking for any survivors. They started looking for anyone they, they could find. And when I went out in Denver, I always thought about 200 people were on the field. That's probably recorded in my book. But actually, it was close to 500 people were on the field. Hmm. And That's great. massive, massive. American Legion ran coffee around the clock. It wasn't, let's find the bodies in two hours, everything's done. No, it, it took days. Yeah. Well, that massive. is the American spirit. Yeah, we needn't lose heart. I yeah. went back mm -hmm. to thank all those towns. I made presentation, town hall presentations. I could attend five town hall meetings. I ran out of dates to stay out there long enough to do more. Five town hall presentations, in which I requested a proclamation be made for November 1st, not only in memory of all the 44 passengers killed, but also in honor of all the unsung heroes of Weld County and Longmont in that area. And that was long overdue. They went above and beyond what any citizen today would do. They just hopped on. They didn't care if they got sued. They didn't care if they intruded on the FBI. They just did what they had to do is what I heard when I was out there. I said, I asked one of them, she was 18 years old, 18 years old, a woman with her boyfriend, Conrad. And I said, Martha, how did you do it? And she said, we just did what we had to, Mary. And so I went there to thank the communities publicly and to work towards eventual Good. memorial in that area. So Good. I have mayors on board now. And and so, so producing a memorial and everything else will probably take a couple of years. Sure. Um, Got to do some fundraising. From from design, fundraising and, and all of that. But right now I'm working on the proclamation November 1st, but I didn't see this in action until then. I want, really want to go back to what you're saying. Your trauma is just as significant as mine. What your dad, what your family experienced is just as significant as mine. And your listening audience, we have, our nation has been so... <laughs> traumatized ever since 9-11 and it's been rapidly all these shootings all these mass murders and that is not just the trauma of the victims and their families but is the trauma of the whole nation but if we can deal and learn to get help to get ourselves out of our own personal trauma then our nation can start pulling together and really be mm -hmm. strong but we're, we're constantly bombarded with trauma, and that is one of my greatest concerns for our nation. What's the first step, Marion? What's the first step in dealing with that tertiary trauma? Oh. Is that something you address in the book, too? I think, you know, I didn't write my book as a how-to manual, how to walk out of trauma, because there is no one way. I didn't want to be the guru. I'm not an expert. I simply told my story of how I walked through it and what, and what happened to me. Well, tell me how that was. Yeah. Was it faith-based? It's basically having faith 
that God can take your pain and exchange it for something better? Well, uh, actually, it was more than that. Because I am a Christian, because I have a strong faith, when all my life fell apart when I was in my 40s, my husband was unemployed while everyone else was employed. He wasn't getting hired. We had four deaths all the year before. And the final death was a friend of ours, good friend of ours from college, who died of cancer, leaving four children. And I could no longer cope with life. I had two children at home, two young children, and I was afraid of losing our house. I was strong in faith. We were church planters. We were pastors. We were leaders. And all of a sudden, I crumbled. And I asked God three things I asked of him. I said, would you please find my husband a job? Would you please restore our marriage? Because his unemployment brought on tension in our marriage. And three, help me cope better in life. I had no idea it stemmed to the roots of my real dad and the loss of my dad. Mm. No idea. And he took me on a spiritual journey. I must have cried in a church that was free, worshiping the Lord and freedom and a lot of joy was happening at the time. I was up crying and I had a breakthrough. I became, as you say, what, what does someone do? I said, well, first of all, if you don't, if you don't know God, because I know your listening audience is broad, if you don't know God, you know, that's okay because he knows you and he wants to know you. Yeah. So make him his source. Uh, step out. Make God your source. And that's what I did. I knew that he was my only answer. I knew that counseling. Now, I know you have counselors listening, so I'm not saying people shouldn't go to you. This was just my story. I didn't want any cycle babble. Right. You know? <laughs> um, I yeah. don't want any cycle no, babble or anything. We were leaders in church. I couldn't talk to anyone, how shattered our lives were. So I sought hard after God. And that's my second step is desperation. How desperate are you? So with all this going on in the nation, I'm going to wrap it around on and on. Perhaps you're finding yourself getting angrier or uneasier, or more anxious, or more everything, just become desperate and say, if I could, like the woman pressing through the crowd, if I could only touch the hem of Jesus's garment, I'll be healed. Yeah. And she pressed through the crowd despite all the odds. That was how I was. I had to not care if my peers saw me crying up front, falling apart, I had to press through all that just to touch his hem. And he began meeting me powerfully and very intimately during those times. Well, if we're being honest, we all need that. We all need that touch because not a one of us is free from trauma in this life. It's Mm -hmm. just a part of it. But we're also promised a life that's abundant. So along Mm -hmm. with the ugly is a parallel beauty that I find can overcome all of that. But we just Mm -hmm. have to be willing to change our perspective. And so I agree with you, Marion. And I, I know that's how you found your forgiveness to forgive the man who took your father from you. And yeah, you you do. Go ahead. Talk about that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was quite a journey. I, As I said, it took me a while to realize that it was. And I know you have an audience. I know you've you shared with me that other, other speakers have shared profound experiences. I'll just share one of them because there's too many I've, I've put into my book. I was I crying weeks, weeks on end. Okay. Didn't have a clue as to what my root problem was. I asked Jesus, I want healing. I don't want a Band-Aid effect. I don't want to leave your throne room empty. I know you'll hear me. That was kind of my faith. I know you'll hear me. I don't want a Band-Aid to feel better. I want to be healed at the roots. What's going on? So uh, one day in worship, it may sound weird to your audience, but the... uh, power of the Holy Spirit's Holy Spirit, you know, uh, overwhelmed me. It's hard to explain it, but I never went, I never fell back or down. Speakers could pray for me. I never fell down. I never got overwhelmed by his presence before, by God's presence. That's who he is. Um, God's presence. Never like that. 
Well, I'm worshiping, crying my heart out. And all of a sudden, I'm down on the ground. Not only am I down on the ground in the middle of worship, I'm reliving, actually, the plane bombing. I see my mom at the airport waving goodbye. And I didn't know that that's what she did. But my sister wasn't in the picture, just me. She's pregnant with me. She's waving goodbye at the airplane. I see the plane exploding. And I'm just crying. I'm screaming by now, terrorized by it. Next scene, I see a sword with two demonic entities. And now I've walked with the Lord and walked in the spirit long enough. I knew they were. They weren't good. And they were pretty Mm -hmm. funny looking, to be honest. They were really wimpy. But it was murder and death. And Hmm. I was crying out to Jesus, come, come save me, Jesus. Where are you in my spirit? And so then he comes around in his white horse. You know, Revelations talks about Jesus coming back, riding on a white horse. Yeah. And he comes around and he has a scepter in his hand. And he reaches down. He picks me up throws me on the back of his horse. Then he looks at the imps. Now the sword and the imps are still with, you know, attached to me, I guess. And he doesn't say one word and the imps leave. That is the authority of Christ. He did not have to speak to them. He did not have to tell them to leave. They whimpered away. I love it. That is so cool. They totally- <laughs> and I think my audience loves hearing this too. I think we're down for this. Okay. I mean, honestly, we are in a new day and an age. Are you kidding me? I think if nothing, 2021, 2020, even 2022, for crying out loud, yeah. has shown us we are battling a very real enemy that exists beyond what we can see. Real. And I think most people, especially believers, are coming to understand that. Honestly, I have to believe I, that, that is the I case. Ha- so I obvious. To, I have to, too, because, see, he's no respecter of persons. Mm-hmm. And so um, the the lesson I, I took from that was, and I've used it as a model now, how I pray for people. Um, he rescued me first. Number one. Number two, the presence of the Lord is what scatters the enemy in your midst. Yes. Just one look. I want to be that person that the enemy says, I I can't be near her. I can't be near Janet Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. she's so full of the spirit. And I, I, there was an example of a pastor in a church that had a demon possessed congregant that was causing a ruckus in the front row. And the story goes, the pastor goes down, whispers in the guy's ear, and all of a sudden, everything's good. And later on, it was determined, all he said was, he mentioned his own name. He said, Pastor, I don't know what his name was, Smith, Mm -hmm. you know, Pastor Smith is here. And boom, (laughs) that demon was out of there, flew out of there as fast as he could. Is listen, we're not taking any jokes. We're just not, we're not taking any crap. (laughs) I love it. Well, and so, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I I think it just, I've got, I've got to share this because you talk about (laughs) the spirit and how the spirit ministered to you in that moment. I mean, that's just amazing. I, I'm so grateful that you had that opportunity to see in the spirit and that you were willing to share it with the rest of us. And this is what I always say here on Color Speak, because we're all part of the same huge grand masterpiece and our little brush strokes or little puzzle pieces that fit together in such a way as to provide that glorious backdrop, that Mm. glorious thing on canvas means that we accept our little part in it. And it looks yeah. different, just as we're all given unique it, talents, we're all given unique perspective, right? So I love it when people share. I don't, I mean, do I wish I had some of those incredible visions? Yeah. Have I asked for them? Absolutely. But what the Lord has given me is different. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're supposed to share, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to share. So here's my sharing. So, so 
So my dad was killed in that plane crash, but it was only one of a long series. I didn't even tell you this, Marion. So here's here's what happened. That first plane crash happened, the PSA jet that went down in our town killing hundreds in San Diego. That was a huge day for me because I I couldn't get over it. I, I felt like it happened just a couple of miles from my house. And I just always felt it was a harbinger of things to come, erroneously. But I can see how the Lord was working because I developed this... Um, the sort of obsession for that. And so Mm -hmm. I was always worried. And then my dad was killed in a plane crash. And then I ended up going and flying doing airborne traffic in Southern California in San Diego, which meant that I was up flying, right to deliver the information from the air on traffic conditions. This was back in the 90s. And I had my own emergency landing, black smoke spewing out of the back of the plane, the whole nine yards. We land. I look at my pilot, have a very heartfelt discussion with him. And two weeks later, he is killed along with one of my coworkers when our plane goes down over Mm -hmm. I-5 in Solana Beach as they were delivering traffic news as well. And I was supposed to be in that plane, but I had taken the day off. So here's me just... Mm -hmm. I mean, just there were too many things going on as far as plane crashes were concerned. So I'm putting my daughter, I'm transferred to Kansas City from San Diego, and I'm putting my daughter on a plane to go back to San Diego. She's 14 at the time. And I'm praying and I'm thinking, okay, statistically, what are the chances? I'm not going to know anyone else that's ever in a plane crash again, because there have been too many incidences. I didn't even share them all with you. I didn't even write about them all. And at that moment, I started praying. I said, Lord, please don't take my daughter too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at that moment, a giant rainbow appeared over her plane. No rain, no clouds in the sky, nothing. Just over the plane was this rainbow. And I looked at the flight attendant that was standing at the window and I said, will you look at that? She says, that's unbelievable. And I said, you know, I'm going to be so bold as to say that's that's my rainbow. My dad was killed in a commercial flight mm-hmm. crash and my daughter is on that plane. That's my rainbow. And she was overcome. I was overcome. And the electricity in the air was unmistakable. So it got me on this trajectory where I see rainbows all of the time in places where, you know, it doesn't even have to be summertime, it could be the dead of winter, and he'll send me a rainbow. And so Mm -hmm. I think about that throne in heaven. And that really is the impetus for color speak. Because what Revelation says, Mm -hmm. is that when John was in the spirit, he saw a throne standing in heaven and someone seated on it. The one seated there looked like Jasper and chameleon and a rainbow that gleamed like an emerald encircled the throne. And so I, the rainbow is God. I mean, it's, it's always been God. It's always been his message of love to us and promise. And he gave that to Noah, but he continues to do that for us today. So I'm so grateful that he showed himself in that way to me as he showed himself to you in the vision. I just delight in hearing those stories. And I think, God, I would love to have a vision, but I'm so grateful that I got a rainbow. I'm glad you're you're bringing it back to that because I I make it very very clear I was hesitant for years I wouldn't share Aww. that because people one wouldn't believe me two people would go after I want one of those mm, I want to encounter yes yes like right I want to see him I I want to why he chose me why he did it that way for me like I look back and there are three me's. There was physical me on the floor. There was me with the dagger and the imps. And there was me on his horse. Now, only God can do that. But I was in another realm. I was totally taken in another realm. And I make it clear as I write write the chapter in my book, because that is the opening of my, my realizing that my roots were back to the loss of my dad, which began really, kind of began my healing journey. but. Ever, I want to tell your listening audience is you do not need to seek after visions and revelations. Yes. Seek after God. Mm. Seek yes. Him first. Seek to know Him. Seek to be known by Him. Seek to understand Him. And you may not understand Him fully now. Maybe all you know is Jesus loves me, this I know. Or maybe all you know is the resurrection story. 
but you don't understand fully, that's okay. Just seek him with all your heart. And he promises, promises to answer those who seek him and to draw near to those who draw near to him. So you do not need these phenomenal experiences because there's more that's in my book. Mm -hmm. And in fact, writing my book, I didn't know how to write it because of all these experiences. And um, God showed me a way of how to explain them and how to really tell people, look, because I was like that. I would hear these wonderful stories of all these fantastic experiences of other Christians. And I was a younger Christian. I'd go, what? I wasn't saved out of the drug culture. I mean, a lot of people were. My husband was. I wasn't saved. I was a goody two-shoes. I don't have a wild testimony like they do. I, you know, (laughs) you know, and I learned it's God's grace is upon you to walk through whatever you need to be walking through in life at the time. And he gives us grace. Why he chose this dramatic way, uh, totally, I call it uncorking me. Um, I, I don't know, but it changed the way that I minister. It changed my theology. It changed so much, just that one huge encounter. And so, you know, seek seek him. You'll uh, seek the word, read the word, get the word in you. Be desperate for anything that he wants for you, like that woman pressing through the crowd uh, against all odds. She risked a lot yeah, to she do sure that. Did. She risked making everyone dirty. Everyone she touched would be right. unclean as yeah. she wove through the crowd. You know, and I I have to say, I love what you just added clarity to, because I know we talk a lot about that here in this house. My husband and I have talked about the danger in sharing incredible God experiences for fear of of diminishing another person's experience or discouraging someone. Because I think the temptation is, because we have an enemy who wants to facilitate such, to say, well, there's something wrong with me that I don't have that experience, or maybe right. there really is no such God. God doesn't operate that way, but this person is crazy or yeah. whatever, because we haven't had the same experience. But uh, see, I think that just, that is why right. a lot of people right. stay trend, exactly. entrenched in their religiosity. Now, I, I'm this is a completely different level, and I, I think probably I'm going too deep here, but I think that sometimes we adhere to form and function. We mm-hmm. we observe what has been customary because it makes us feel comfortable because we don't want to get outside of the box. And that way we can, we justify staying stuck because Mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z, you know, regarding us and others. And I think it lends itself to not accepting the mantle over our lives. We each have Mm -hmm. different mantles of our lives in the, in the gifts we receive from the Lord, in our calling and our talents, all of the things in our experiences. And it's all part of that tapestry I talked about. Mm-hmm. But I but I also think one more thing, I think that it's okay to expect a miracle too, because yeah. there's a verse in Psalms it, it, that it, talks about this, that, you know, what you focus on expands and you will grow miracles and exponentially mm-hmm. when you choose to see with spiritual sight. But I think you're right. You have to choose to see with spiritual sight, our God, right? We seek him, him first. We yes. are to seek right. him first and all these things exactly. shall be added to you. We are to get to know right. him first. John did not go after this huge revelation that he saw on the yeah. island, you know, that why we had the book. He didn't, it, he was a lover of Jesus and that's, Jesus wants our relationship with him. He wants us to know him, but he wants to know us. And that's is really where it's at. Um, my journey took off after that. And at the same time of my journey, if I can uh, go backwards a little bit, he had begun to put in my desire a heart to know my real dad in a really strong and powerful way. I mean, it was urgency. I got to know my real dad. Yeah. I got to know my real dad. Oh, you're talking about yeah. your real no, biological dad. I'm talking about dad. my real biological ah. dad. Yeah, yeah. Right. I began wanting to know him because I missed him. 
And I thought, and all these, all these songs in church were about, I want to see you more. I want to hear you more, you know? And I would cry out, I don't see you. I don't hear you. I can't hear you. I never heard my real dad. And so the two were going at the same time. And, and God was so good. When I wrote my book, I asked him, how am I going to write this book, Lord? He said, tell them, show them my character mm-hmm. through your healing. And that became my angle to show how kind he was during this whole healing process. See, what I, I had well-intentioned Christians. There's a lot of well-intentioned Christians out there. And they're operating out of their own own information yeah. box, I guess, what they're used to, guess how they were taught. But mm. they can say some pretty bad things to one another, and they can right. hurt and wound one another. And And I got hurt during this process. We were leaders. We were praying for people. We, we had small groups in our home. We led evangelism outreaches, developed food pantries. We had done all of this. And when I was going through this deep healing process, I was told by a woman's leader in the church, I was too no. damaged to pray for anyone. What? I just can't. Yes. That's nuts. I, I, mm. And at the same time that I was fighting all this and I, I had to press through the crowd, God wooed me in his love. So I was told that I was too damaged to pray. And I was looked upon as someone who would never get healed, never be healed. You know, you're never going to be done with sanctification. So you might as well, you know, just keep coming to these classes and you'll get healed better. That was what I was subjected to. It's all my book. And the truth is God loves you. If I can say anything, God loves his people so much. He was giving me visions of me dancing with him, of me frolicking with him in the fields. He was, I was getting words from other people. You're going to be a teacher of women. I would look at them and laugh going, who, me? And and yet he was building me up at the same time he was doing this deep inner healing work. At the same time that my own church leaders turned against me. Because I I was so broken. He came around and loved me. And that's what all these visions and all these images were about. Him loving me back. Him pouring his love into me. And that's what built me up to what finally brought me to total freedom. Every bit of the step of the way, it was over a three-year process, maybe five-year process. I got totally free at last. And that was because as he was pouring his love into me, I could get, he was pouring more more truth, revelation of the lies I was believing, I guess. And I had to come to accept that, oh my goodness, I believe that. Oh my goodness, I did that. I had to grieve those losses at the same time he was pouring his beauty in, into me and he, he kept building me up. I did not, it finally came up all this anger and bitterness and resentment towards the man who killed my dad just came bubbling up. Anything could set me on fire and I would yell, I'd project my anger on my husband, on my kids. I was haunted by a 3D entity of the man who killed my dad in worship. I'd be worshiping the Lord and this 3D would appear in front of me and say, I got you now. And I would say, no, you don't. And I would keep worshiping the Lord. He appeared three times to me that way. And I had a speech. All of us have been wounded and hurted. We, some, some of you, unfortunately have been beaten. You've been abused. Uh, You have strong reason to be angry and to be hurt. And God knows it. But there comes a point where he will bring you to a point to forgive those who have hurt you and wounded you. And that's what he did with me. He took me through till I was able and strong enough to. And finally, I realized I I had all this anger, all this bitterness, all this resentment toward the man who killed my dad, who totally changed my life. I got to hate evil so bad. Finally, the Lord dealt with me. He said, 
to me one day as I was driving to an intergroup healing thing at church, unreluctantly, but I obediently went, you know, <laughs> like, okay. He said, why do you fear that which cannot take your soul? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was afraid of facing the man who put the bomb on the plane. He was dead already. But it sounds like the demo- the demons were coming back in his form to attack you. I, well, well, they they were already gone. I mean, those were the little battles I had. They so were already you, gone. Why but, do you think you, you know, were seeing visions of tell me, the perpetrator? It, oh, oh, because I think I was intensifying and getting closer to the Lord as the battle. So he was showing battle you was that. raging over my soul. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and battle was raging over my soul. Yeah, but at this point they had ceased. And I knew there's scripture that talks about why do you fear that which cannot take your soul? You know, it's like God to use his word. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the Bible for a reason. <laughs> it is his word. <laughs> it is his truth. He He speaks to us through his word. Well, he uses word to me. Why do you fear that which cannot take your soul? And I thought, as I'm driving to this meeting, I said, oh, my goodness, Lord. You are the only one. Who right. Can Nothing can soul. pluck us from his hand. You're the only one. Nothing. So why do mm-hmm. you're right. So why do I fear facing this man who killed my dad? Why do I fear? So I went and I knew that was the day I had to forgive him. So they, they call everyone up to the one prayer and this group healing thing. People stood up all over the place. And here I am. A person behind me was with me the whole time. And, uh, she she didn't know what was going on in my head. She knew nothing. She just placed her hand on my shoulder. And I cried out to God, I can't forgive the man who killed my dad. I can't do it. And I immediately saw a table, conference room table. Jesus is at the head. The man who killed my dad is at the other opposite. And I'm sitting there. And I had this speech planned. I wanted to let him have it. I had this whole speech written out in my head. And I, I said, God, I wanted to chew him out and then say, will I forgive you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Instead, when I said, Jesus, I can't, I can't do it. Give me grace. He, he placed his hand on my shoulder and out of my mouth came. I could say the name of the killer for the first time. And I could say, John Graham, you thought you killed my real dad. But my real father is the heavenly father in heaven. And I forgive you. At that instant, my sin of anger and bitterness and hatred, the Holy Spirit, and that instant, I realized, oh my goodness, my sin of hate, anger, and bitterness towards him was just as a sin of murder. And I repented of that. And Jesus literally clothed me and freed me. And I wanted to go running around that sanctuary. I was going to say, you felt freed. It's so free. I was finally freed. To reach that point. Yeah. It's so freeing. It was hallmark, but everybody else there was still crying and licking their wounds like I had been. And (laughs) so I didn't dare be happy when they were all sad. (laughs) So I had a party between me and Jesus and I've been freed ever since and revolutionized my walk. I was freed at last. Um, I was free from all the ramifications, how it played on my marriage, how everything, everything. It it was like, as you say, color. I love it. I lived my my life unknowingly in black and white, unknowingly. And God opens up my eyes and is so free. Have you read Rebecca Alonzo's book, New York Times bestseller, The Devil in Pew Number 7? No, uh uh-uh. You need to read that book. She was on the podcast here several episodes ago, and she has quite a story. And and hers is a forgiveness too. Uh, 
of the man who took the life of her mom when she was a child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what she said, and this is so true, that, you know, you've truly forgiven when you can hear the name or as you just did say the name of that person and not have a an internal reaction over it. <laughs> yeah. So, and I and I know we we need to wrap up, but I I wanted to kind of circle back around to what you had said about seeking first and then you find and then you demonstrate what that looks like. You know, to demonstrate the characteristics of Christ, forgiveness, love, concern, compassion and the list goes on. That is the best way that we can testify to his goodness in our life. And, you know, as I was sitting here thinking, you know, I, I think I've maybe shared it before. And at the risk of like oversharing, I just I, I just don't know that that can happen. But I just think it's so appropriate that I share something else with you that I know will really resonate with you, Marion. So, you know, I wrote I wrote my memoir too, um, Milk and Honeyland, and it starts with the plane crashes and talks about how I lost my dad. And, you know, it's so interesting in in understanding the goodness of who God is, like, I am so reflective, so many times, like, I think, well, who am I? You know, I'm just a hurt girl, Mm -hmm. I will always be a hurt girl over the loss of my dad, and so many other things. But who am I to be loved by the king of the universe, such that he would demonstrate to me his goodness, his kindness, and his love of me. It's just so overwhelming. And so I wrote the book. I got on a flight to, it had been nominated in a top 10 contest. And I got on this flight. And would you believe this is the goodness of God in confirming the story is I sit down on the plane and the person next to me is reading my book. She got at the library. Wow. A complete stranger. <laughs> okay, so that's God. But here, here's the beauty of that. Only he, only he, Marion, could confirm his love for me on a plane mm-hmm. that way. I mean, not right. only was it that way, it was oh, on, my a plane, on a plane. On a plane. And right. yeah, and so it's crazy. So I go out in the, the book, um, it received its first award. It, it won for best memoir that year was 2019. And I'm coming back and my husband couldn't go with me. I, I didn't want him to go with me. I didn't think the book would win. I didn't want to waste his time. So after it won, he sends me two dozen red roses to the Aww. hotel. And I check ahead of time with the flight. I check ahead and they say, you know, you can take the, you can take them with you. Just make sure there's no water in the vase. So the first flight home, no problem. Second flight, the flight attendant said, yeah, you can't take those flowers. And I said, Oh, couldn't I please? I mean, I made it on the first. No, 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 you can't take them. You know, and she was pretty rough on me Mm -hmm. at first. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, you know, because I'm just holding them. I'm not even I'm not checking them. I'm not putting them, you know, I'm just holding them. And she said, Nope, you can't do it. And I said, Well, listen, I said, these mean a lot to me. My husband sent them to me because my book won an award. And with that, she changed. It was God. This is another God moment. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, let me take them. I'll put them in my personal locker. And I said, okay, that sounds great. So when the flight lands home in Kansas City, the flight attendant, knowing about this, gets with the pilot and they present me with a bottle of champagne and a congratulatory message, you know, that my book had won. Okay. So it's not a big deal. But the fact is, They did this on the plane, Mm -hmm. on the way home, right? So from start to finish, I had asked the Lord for a supernatural experience. He gave me one on the plane Mm -hmm. going, and he gave me on the plane coming back. And as I returned home and I'm standing out on my property, which is um, very much like I think you describe in, in your situation, I'm south of Kansas City, there's a lot of land, and I'm looking up at the sky and I'm just saying, thank you, God. You, Mm -hmm. you just exceed my expectations every time. And as I look up, there's a plane flying over. Mm-hmm. So I just felt like the timing of everything was just his constant ministrations to he, me. Right. To show me he loves me. And he, he does knows, that for you too. He knows what we need. And for all those who are listening to this, he knows exactly what you need. He knows what words, what life-giving words you need to hear. He knows what people what situations you're in. 
and he will make a way and he will see you through. And that is the hope that we have in, in today's age that he is not a respecter of persons. He gives Janet tremendous um, God occurrences and um, he, he definitely has given me so many, so, yeah. so, so many, and he doesn't stop, but he's not going to stop with you. Right. He's going to keep pursuing you until and, you notice. Well, he's, he's going to love you. He's yeah. going to love you and love you right where you're at. You may not have a clue how you're going to get out of your situation. You, you may be in a horrible situation. You may be, may be actually in a good spot. But he's never going to quit pursuing you. Yes. And, and that mm-hmm. is the message. He's full of grace. He's so full of grace and mercy. And I, I can't get over how good he is and how personal he is. At the same time, he's overseeing the whole world. You know, <laughs> it's amazing to me. I, you it know, honestly, totally Mary, amazing. Yeah. I have to check myself sometimes because the enemy wants to convince me that he has better things to do than to spend time with me, or he has more pressing needs. How how should I ask for this? Why should I ask for that when he has so many other more pressing needs to attend to, or even just the insignificance of me in the book, and and all of the things that happened on that that flight during that trip. It was his way of saying, I love you and that's I appreciate right. your effort, you know, and that's right. it's, it's just that's really a, hard to wrap a mind around sometimes. That, that, and it is because uh, this gets into another subject, but we're, we're so, um, as humans and as Christians, it doesn't matter whether we're Christians or not, we're all humans and we, we operate by, uh, I want to call it perfectionist orientation. We operate by well, if I'm good, then he'll be a gracious God back to me. No, he was good even when we didn't deserve for him yeah. to be good. He pursued us from the foundation of the world. He pursues us. And and you may not have it, you may have it in your head, but not in your heart, but he will drill it down into you. And so if you don't get it right now, that's okay. Just pursue him. That's a real strong message in this day and age. We've got to really pursue him, draw near to him and he will draw near you. And he'll speak to you in language and ways and situations that you will know that it's him. Yeah, that's true. um, Once he does, you'll never, you'll never shake it. So don't look at spiritual giants. Don't think that either one of Mm -hmm. us are spiritual giants because we're not. We're just able, I guess, maybe more to share what he's been, has done in our lives. I'm so glad that you've said all of those things because I know that we're we're not only out of time, we're over our time, but it was so yeah. fast, you know, like, and I told you this is what was going to happen. And oh my goodness, I always like to ask at the end, what message do you want to leave our listeners with? And you just, you knew that innately. So I appreciate it. And it's just been such a pleasure talking with you, Marion. What a wonderful story you have. Um, and I can say that truthfully, like I have a wonderful story. There was pain attached to it for sure. Mm-hmm. But God takes that pain and he turns it into purpose and makes it a beautiful place. So yeah, thank you so much. I will have all of your information up in our show notes, including Finding My Father by Marion Poppelmeyer. That's the book you'll need to check out, my friends. And also check out freedomlifejoy.com. That will all be in the show notes. And I just, I thank you so much for being with us today, Marion. Wow, thank you so much, Janet. This has just been marvelous it's been a <laughs> to, to use a cliche it's been a god thing you know it's, it's been yes um uh, when he's there i just really want to thank you for calling me and inviting me on and being able to share uh, what god has done in my life in hopes that others will be inspired given hope and um and find you know what what they're looking for Yes. Amen to that. Well, and it's the Lord. I don't know if I shared this part with you, but I wait on him. He gives me the names. Mm. He tells me who to contact and who to have on. And I love that I don't have to fret it. Mm. (laughs) I don't hit it every week. I didn't hit it last week just because, uh, like I shared, I have a, I have kids home for the summer and we're getting gearing back up to, to be getting them back into their dorm and apartment respectively for school. 
And so it's been full, but I do so value his input and he always leads me to the right people and to you. And I, I think one day we need to just all gather together and sip coffee and talk about Jesus the whole time. I know. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, okay, well, we need to go and it's been a pleasure and thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far with us, (laughs) wherever you find yourself today, remember you are relevant, you are influential and you are called to unveil truth for color, to light the world with color and to share your color. And I hope you'll continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts and on Grace and Truth Radio World. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, unveiling truth for light 